0: Welcome to the Dig In Travel Podcast, where travel and other digital professionals level up their marketing skills by listening to the top industry experts. And now here's your host, Istok Franco, founder of digintravel.com, your number one resource for travel, digital, e-commerce, and marketing. Hi, this is Istok, and you're listening to episode 51 of the Dig In Travel Podcast. Myself and the Dig In travel Podcast will go on a summer break A break that I personally use to learn about new things, so to study the things that I couldn't do, that I couldn't dedicate the time during the year because of all the hassle and all the projects and all the work. But before I do that, I couldn't leave you without one episode, an episode that I hope will be a food for thought for you, something that you can use to think and reflect on during the summer. Of course, I'm talking about the rise of artificial intelligence and ChatGPT, because I think everybody heard about it by now. I think most of you played around with it, so I entered some queries into the ChatGPT prompt to see how it reacts, how it works. But ChatGPT and the new models are so much more than that. So so much more than a, let's say enhanced Google search or enhanced Apple Siri assistant. And what I see is that there is so much partial information about it so I felt there is a need to talk about it systematically, explain what it is, how it fits in the bigger scheme of artificial intelligence and how you should think about it to help you become better professional and work smarter in the future. To do that, I talked to my colleague Bustian. Bustian is our past Ellen Digital Academy instructor he had a courses on data science and analytics. And he's one of the smartest people that I personally know when it comes to artificial intelligence and data science. Last two years, he spent a lot of time specializing in these two areas. So I think he's really a great person that will explain some of these complex topics uh, to you guys. Think about this episode like a ChatGPT one-on-one for you. So. Really systematic introduction to the topic and all the possibilities. And of course, we had to talk about possible airline applications applications as well. And we did that and talked about some practical cases. I hope you'll enjoy this episode as much as I did, and I hope it will spark some new ideas so you come refreshed after the summer and ready to put some of these ideas in practice.
1: We at BranchSpace are a passionate and deeply experienced team. We break barriers and make it easy for airlines and other travel companies to create better digital experiences for travelers and staff. Check out branchspace.com to learn more.
0: Hi, Bustian, and welcome to the Digging Trail podcast. Hello. So, before we start talking about all the exciting things about ChatGPT and AI, just let me give a brief introduction or update to our audience, because we know each other for a really long time. We worked together in an airline, even, so that was ages ago. Uh, Bustian worked in revenue management departments, trying to implement data analytics and data science, and I worked in marketing and e-commerce. But we work together also on tons of other data and BI and other analytics projects. Uštejan was also a mentor in our, an instructor in our uh, Airline Digital Academy on the topic of analytics. And he is one of the best person I know to help you with your data. But you are also one of the more educated people I know to talk about AI and data science, which we will talk today, I think. Like me in e-commerce and digital space, I think you're constantly learning on this data science and AI space. Yeah, you went through various, I think, trainings, educational programs or Harvard MIT on all these topics. Uh, and you are also coaching business leaders, right, on how to strategically integrate AI into their organizations.
2: True. I am doing that, especially because in these times, all the progress is so fast that it's really difficult to grasp like the all the changes that are happening and as you were saying this education and retraining is i think paramount in these days we can't we simply can't uh, use all the opportunities that we have if we don't constantly train and and get to know new things
0: yeah and recently i saw you, you are become a little bit more active on linkedin especially i writing about, a lot about uh, ChatGPT. There was a series of articles that you posted. What was the motivation for that?
2: My motivation was, I would say, twofold. One is, of course, that ChatGPT became a very hot and important topic. And um, I felt that it is important that we talk about it. And secondly, the majority of content that I saw on LinkedIn and also in other articles were more focused on use cases and then all these examples of how ChatGPT is either great or is really bad. Um, but there was less talk about what does it mean for an organization? How do you go about implementing this? What does it mean for the employees? What does it mean from the legal perspective, from privacy perspective? So. I wanted to, to talk about this perspective um more and based on the feedback that I got I think it was really important that that I was focusing on that. And of course use cases are still very important but it's not the only thing. And the, the other important part that made me go into into this area of writing more was um the fact that while we are talking about ChatGPT mostly This whole hype, or new revolution, is basically not about ChatGPT. It's about the technology that is underlying ChatGPT and all the other tools and um, process changes and um, other impact that the new technology will have. So, generative AI in,
0: in general. So, your articles were not written by ChatGPT? (laughs)
2: <laughs> they were not written by ChatGPT, but um, I really like, I recently saw a few of the articles um, where the authors were really you know, putting, I think, a lot of thought and effort into writing the content. But then at the top, they also included a summary of their article written by GPT. Um, and I thought that was a really helpful thing um, and a good, good addition and a good combination of human and and collaboration
0: okay you talked about the hype is about chat gpt but the important part is the technology and everything that's let's say under the hood So, for like me who use it for, for now mostly for querying and also to improve my r writing code so very uh, let's say tactical or very google like uh, what is if you put chat gpt in context so what is chat gpt How does it fit in this bigger landscape of AI? I saw you posted and shared a very nice visualization about this oral picture on LinkedIn, but maybe how would you put ChatGPT in the context of the grander schemes, so like technology that you mentioned about?
2: Yeah, I always felt that when we look at ChatGPT in the context of AI, it's like looking at the Earth from the universe, right? you think, you know, this is so big, and then you zoom out and zoom out. And at the end, you see, it's just like a tiny part. So it's very similar. ChatGPT chat GPT is basically a tool. It, it's not even artificial intelligence. It's a tool that uses artificial intelligence. And what it uses is a model that in this case is GPT. Um, it's called generative pre-trained transformers. And this, this model was developed by OpenAI. Um, GPT also comes in many versions, not just 3.5 and 4 that we are now used to, but there are many different variations of the same model that is then used for different purposes. So basically, it's already adapted a little bit for a specific use. Maybe we can talk more about this adaptation later. Um, so, for example, the the GPT model that... ChatGPT uses is called InstructGPT, and then uh, for those of you who maybe were following more also, let's say what Microsoft is doing with its code suggestions in GitHub, um, they are using the GPT variation called Codex. So,
0: so that's more for helping people like me trying to help with coding. Right? Exactly, exactly.
2: So this is this GPT world by OpenAI, and then when we zoom out, we see that. It's not only OpenAI who's producing this this kind of large language models. So this GPT is part of the large language models. One huge player in this area is Google. Um, they have currently two main two main um, models. One is spawn 2, and the, the other one is Lambda. And uh, interesting in this story is that although OpenAI was the one that made public aware of this large language models. It's actually Google who invented this uh, this technology uh, and you know, the whole the whole theory behind it um, seven years ago now. But again also Google is not um, um putting any any ownership over the technology. So there's other companies that are also doing it, Meta, Anthropic, and tons of others. So, we have a lot of these different models, and this is already important when we start thinking about how do we implement this kind of functionality. And then, again, if we zoom out a little bit, so go outside of of large language models, um, these models are so-called foundation models. Foundation models are models that are pre-trained on a lot of data and they're tuned for specific tasks. We also have them let's say for images, for music, audio, video and, and so on. And and then again foundational models are a part of AI and they they belong into into let's say the intersection between uh, natural language processing and deep learning. So it's a it's a big ecosystem surrounding the whole thing and uh, many tools are are leveraging many, many elements from different parts
0: of this. Okay. We'll share your visual, visualization in the recap of this article so people can visualize this zooming out because I think it's much easier if you visualize, but yeah. it's important like you say, that ChatGPT is like one small planet in, let's say, a group of uh, large language models or LLMs and then this is part of NLP, so natural electric processes or intersection between machine learning and this is all part of this huge AI landscape. Very good. But it <laughs> almost GPT-like. <yeah>. Yes. <laughs> so, uh, cool. So, but we talked about this before yeah, as we were let's say chatting about how to do this podcast. AI machine learning, and all these concepts that you mentioned now are not new, right? So we know it for a long time. But why, what's different now? What's different last three, four months with all this boom?
2: Um, yeah, n- nothing is super new, but there are some new elements. So when we start thinking about AI and the history of AI, um, things began developing in the 60s. And already in the seventies, we had a bot, like a chat bot, that was supposed to be answering these kind of questions, and it was at that time very, very new and cool. Uh, that bot was called Eliza. Um,
0: from <laughs> in the today's 70s.
2: perspective, sorry,
0: in the seventies.
2: In the seventies, yes. Um, from today's perspective, it was very, very bad, but from that perspective, it was good. So. Mm-hmm. The whole, the whole development then took off, let's say in the 90s and, and onwards, when um, neural networks started to be developed. And neural networks are still the, the backbone of this technology. What is different now compared to previous attempts, let's, let's call it like that, is that in 2017, um, so seven, six years ago, seven years ago, almost, it will be seven years soon. Um, Google came up with the new idea, how to, how to train these networks so that they can parse many more parameters and also be learned on, uh, in a way that can be used in a generative way. So basically trying to generalize what was learned, um, and then produce new outputs. So that was that was let's say from a technological perspective uh, a big breakthrough and uh, it's interesting that when that paper by um, by google was published in 2017 it didn't really get a lot of attention so it was presented at a conference but they didn't even manage to get into the main program so that they would be <laughs> presented it. so it was just you know published somewhere and then the the scientific community took this paper and also the code that came with the paper and then started developing
0: this but if I understand correctly you said that the difference is what happened in 2017 is that this neural network or the algorithms were able because of the capabilities to process many different parameters and by that became smarter
2: um, exactly and slightly the the context changed so what Google suggested was to Introduce so-called attention um, Level into these neural networks and this attention made the networks more aware of what we're trying to achieve and how How the networks are retraining um, itself So that is one very important aspect the other important aspect is We can call it the design revolution. so Although AI was with us or still is with us in many different forms and we are using it every day, for example, if we're using Siri on our iPhones or face recognition on, on our phone to unlock. So that's all AI. That is basically same technology in the in the background, but um, it was hidden. Until now it was hidden. And what OpenAI did with ChatGPT is it exposed it in a way that basically almost felt like human-like. So all of a sudden we had an AI on the other side that acted like a human and it was super easy to use. And also the usability of of the outputs was, was different. So I would say this is also very, very important because before this chat GPT, OpenAI has been developing the same models for three years already.
0: Okay. Uh, but they were
2: never, they were as never
0: and as close and I, to, to regular people to touch them. Right?
2: Exactly. And also, um, for example, Google with their own bot called BART, um, there was not available to the general public, but BART already passed the Turing test of intelligence last summer. So yeah. way before, um, things got so popular.
0: Okay so now let's try to be practical so people can maybe put this in real cases and i'll try to share one of the cases we talk about that i'm working currently on Uh, it's an airline case where we are optimizing let's say uh, airline website and we are trying to collect feedback and feedback is uh, quantitative so please rank experience i don't know from one to five but then we also get we ask people about the context to explain. So that's open text uh, That's open text uh, response. And these were historically always difficult to parse because you need to understand or read them and categorize them to understand what's going on, what's really wrong. But they are also much more, I would say, valuable than just the rating because rating is just a, at the end the result. But you need to know the context. So what we are trying to do is okay. Use AI, different language models, the LLMs, like you told, explained before, and then train based on train uh, train the algorithms based on previous responses or many manual categorization by let's say customer service or marketing person who would say okay, th- I think this is uh, this person is uh, complaining about uh, overall brand or category. I don't know pricing, baggage policy, website performance, payment methods. Things like that. So we would pull this uh, into our algorithms and then see how accurate the, let's say, our language algorithms are, which are, like you said, been existing and been fine-tuned for a long time. But when we were talking about this before, you were telling me, okay, this is not the old approach, but maybe the traditional approach to solving this solution, right? So tell me... Why is this traditional and how would the new approach look like? Because this is, I'm really interested in this. How could I use all these new, let's say, available tools or available uh, or exposed tools that uh, you mentioned before? How could I use them to to solve this problem better?
2: Um, That's a very good question. And um, it's good that we started with... Setting the the context of these language models and foundation. Not
0: right away. (laughs) ChatGPT, please solve my problem.
2: I mean, it is also used in that way, and I would use it, (laughs) Um, but uh, it, it cannot be used for everything. Maybe just for a start. When to answer your question, I would say that the AI could now, let's say, be split in two major branches. One is this new generative AI, okay. and let's call it traditional discriminative AI. And um, the easiest way how to distinguish between the two is if we look at what the outputs are. So, what is the result? In generative AI, the result is a natural language text, so some sort of product in the form of text. It can also be an image, an audio video so some new new stuff um, if we look at discriminative AI the result is very different the result is always a number is it a class a probability so okay. some sort of some sort of result that is based on the model that we developed
0: so this is what we are doing let's say with our algorithms where we say okay we have 10 categories like I said brand pricing things and the uh, let's say algorithm would work, uh, would return the probability that each response falls in one of these categories. Exactly. Right?
2: And for many areas, this is still, still the only way to go. So it's not that this is now obsolete. It's just that some use cases are better fitted now to generative AI. So in this discriminative AI, what we were doing, we were building a model based on the data that we had. So we trained the data, we gave um, the machine's data and some labels, so some examples. And based on that, it kind of you know, learned what the patterns are and it said, okay, let's see, this text, um, sentiment is positive or is negative. What is different now is that this model that we used to train ourselves are now being replaced for this kind of uses by these big foundation models. So for, for text, it's large language models. And they have been pre-trained on like basically all the data all the text data that is out there um, and it was it was made in a different way so if we look at maybe first first wave of this discriminative AI what we were doing we would say let's say we have two images we would say okay this image is a cat this is not a cat and then we would give them a third image and would say tell me is this a cat or not a cat So, this is this training process that was very difficult um, and um, time-consuming. In the generative approach, we would say, okay, here is a huge pile of books. Go read all the books and learn what a cat is. And then, again, I will tell you, uh, I will ask you, firstly, is this a cat? Yes, no. And then I will also tell you, write me an essay about cats and also create an image about
0: So, in my case, you're telling, instead of building your own know-how of how to classify different, uh, let's say, text answers into different categories, I would use this pre-built knowledge of, of an algorithm who reads billions of books and then build on top of that.
2: And, yes, and the key word here is build on top of it. It's, it's not that things are already there and you just take it off the shelf. You still need to adapt it to your needs, to your specific um, texts, your specific um, terminology. Um, it might also work quite well on this very generic approach, but usually, what we have to do is is um, put it like more knowledge into it, so that it behaves
1: better for us. At BranchSpace, we are a passionate team with deep cross-functional experience in airline and travel tech, travel retail and end-to-end customer experience. We offer Transform Consulting Services and Triplic, our best-in-class digital commerce platform. With Triplic, we deploy the latest technology and retail thinking and make it easy for you to drive personalized end-to-end experiences for your customers and meet your revenue goals. We are an IATA strategic partner for digital innovation to drive together the future of travel. We have been a long-term trusted partner for LH Group, IAG, AGN, TAP, Air Malta and more. Visit branchspace.com to learn how we turn the current challenges airlines are facing in the digital world into opportunities.
0: But this is where my question comes, right? Because the logic here would be okay of course it's not doesn't make sense anymore to build your own language model or your own algorithms to do this task that i was talking about use one of the existing and build on it but how how can organizations really how how, how would you put this kind of solution then in production or in re- not like just playing where I would put, I don't know, now, text in ChatGPT and ask, okay, can you learn and build categories? And then I would put another set of answers and I would say, now classify. This to me, it's pretty straightforward because ChatGPT will do that. But where I struggle to see still, uh, let's say, or what's not so clear to me is, okay, how do I put it then in a real organization with all the concerns that we see now? And also, how can I fine-tune the model based on my needs?
2: That is the very hot topic now, and we basically have three main approaches. Not all of them are equally feasible for, for companies, but still for broader understanding. So first approach is you can build this kind of model yourself. So the same as you were using in this discriminative traditional way, but just slightly in a different way so that it can output, um, let's say, text. But that means like building the whole thing from scratch. Um, that is very very expensive and difficult, and not a lot of companies would do that. One example of a company that let's say did that uh, was Bloomberg. So they have their own Bloomberg GPT. So that's one 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 possible approach. Second approach is that we take the model that is already available. Um, and this would most likely be some open source model. Let's say Meta has uh, a few open source models. And then um, you would retrain it again with more data. This is easier, easier than the first approach, but still not very simple and easy. So now we come to this third possibility that is the most plausible and you can basically start using it today. Um, that is that we include the the knowledge or the text that we are wanting um, the the GPT or the other language model to be using directly into the prompt. So this is called, uh, different companies are using different names for this. Um, For example, Microsoft is calling this grounding, OpenAI is calling this um, embedding, Uh, Google, also has their own name like parameter tuning. But basically what it means is you tune the parameter, you put some part of the, of the text that you want the GPT to start acknowledging through the prompt. And that is very, very quick and very, very simple to do. The limitation that we have here is of course that currently prompt length is still limited. You can't just put like all the things that that um, are out there directly into the prompt. So we need to be a bit smart how to include this data. Um, and this smartness usually includes some sort of search within the within the content that you have. But this would be this this approach where we are not changing the model itself. So we can be reusing whatever is out there, we're just trying to to put our own content into
0: it and you would do this uh, through different apis that these different companies have
2: yes exactly so every company has an api um and different apis of course are serving certain different purposes the same as i mentioned so there are different variations of gpt uh, for different purposes you would use one of these specific models and then create a prompt um, that would fit this purpose. And w- when we're creating the prompt, that's also an important aspect. And I think sometimes it is a little bit um, uh, confusing. We are talking about two aspects. One is prompt design. and Then on the other hand, we have prompt engineering. So prompt design is this relatively simple use of, let's say also chat GPT, where we you know, put in the prompt, maybe ask additional question, um, add some nuances, but that is more or less it. In prompt engineering that can be achieved through ChatGPT, but more often than through API, we have many more other parameters that we can tune where we can say to, to the language model how creative we want the model to be. We tell it like what kind of role it has to assume, um, what kind of additional data it should look whether it should fa- uh, check the facts or not. So it's, let's say, more advanced uh, prompt design.
0: Okay. If I challenge you with one another practical case and you shouldn't tell you weren't worried because I was telling you about this <laughs> when we were preparing for this podcast. So, and I just thought of it now, you see. <laughs> so sure. you see, we were talking about, okay, once we do this podcast, would be smart, or smart. Let's show what we can do to use ChatGPT or some other, let's say LLM or open model, to do a summary of this podcast, right? Yes. A transcription of the summary is typically, let's say, six thousand words, and this this is where you hit the limitations, right? Yes. So, uh, so which part of prompt? De- how would prompt design and prompt engineering look on this case? How will we do it afterwards?
2: So how we will do it is basically split down the whole text into smaller chunks and create summaries of smaller chunks and then create summaries of summaries Uh, and, and then see what the result would be. That is basically the approach that most of the, the commercial products that are using these are also taking. Um, and currently this length limitation is quite a big limitation. Uh, but all the companies are trying to work on, on increasing, they call this context length um, because it is it, it is a big a big limitation for now. So in the future, I don't expect that we will have these kind of uh, limitations. But this not- is
0: also a use case. I was giving a simple use case of just, let's say, yes. a summary of, uh, of a podcast or our chat or rumblings, but uh, one of the use cases that you see now, especially with LLM models is, like you were saying, companies doing the training, onboarding for new people. And this is a case that I see very relevant or useful for airlines, not only in our digital or e-commerce space, where I see a lot of turnaround and a lot of industry-specific knowledge to be gathered, but also in more, let's say, even more regulated uh, spaces let's say, crew training, flight training, and other trainings. Exactly.
2: It is used in that way throughout multiple industries. The onboarding, getting through vast documentation um, and always getting... So Morgan Stanley called this uh, use of ChatGPT for their own purposes. It's like having the best salesperson ever helping everybody at any point of in time. So it is it it is one way. And we come to the problem of length um, that we were talking about earlier um, here as well. So the summaries of summaries or searching is not again something that in this in this environment you would do manually. Platforms already exist. So Google and Microsoft, Amazon as well, they have platforms where you can do this in an integrated process where things are done relatively automatically once you set them up. Um, so they do that. Um, but coming back maybe to use cases, um, yes, yeah, so this training, but also an important um other area that I think will will become more important in the future. But some airlines already started experimenting with that. Is also um, GPT helping the onboard crew? Also, let's say communicate with the with the control towers, um, helping them, you know, const- constructing some of the answers or maybe putting things in more context. So there are a lot of different areas, and some of them are not yet. As, as advanced as we would want it to be, because in certain areas we need more precision and we need to be sure that whatever the output is, 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 uh, is true. But this is something that is developing and will change. It will, it will improve. Uh, so I think what we need to assume currently is not just look at, oh, okay, for now this model is not good enough. We can't use it. Um, we need to assume that it will become usable
0: quite quickly. Okay. I remember another challenge for you. and It's on the fly. And it will touch uh, actually two problems that I think are important here. So one is, okay, a use case or how you can, let's say, with the knowledge that you have now about AI, how would you go about solving problems from the past differently? And the other part is... This challenge that I think you also work about is like what is in the future and it's a lot of this fear or let's say uncertainty of what kind of jobs will AI and all these things replace. As I said in the introduction, so when we work together, you are... Uh, for a while you were in charge of a revenue management department for an airline, right? So the the key question is, okay, how would you use or what parts of AI that you know now and all all the tools available would you use there to, let's say, do things in a different way better? And the other question is, as in every department, you faced a lot of people who were not really maybe skilled in data science, but in some sense, it's getting more required to do so. So how, how do you think will that challenge look in the f- future? Will you need a data scientist in revenue management departments or just people being able and trained to use these tools?
2: So as I said, generative AI is not solving everything that is out there. So going back to the revenue management department, there's still, let's say, one part uh, let's call it price optimization that mm-hmm. cannot be done through reinforcement uh, through generative AI but let's say through reinforcement learning which is part of the of the discriminative part
0: and it's used already in it's a lot already of
2: used it will be used um, probably also in the future it will change it will become easier but for now this is still the best way how to do it the area where We would already be using generative AI at that point if it would exist. Is for example trying to understand what the competition is doing. Um, So you you know that in the past we were parsing websites and that we were trying to understand. So with with the new language models, it's it's pretty simple. You just tell them, okay, go on this website and try to understand what is the policy. Maybe you know is it tied to maybe some promotions? Is it tied? some additional conditions so trying to understand the competitive landscape uh, is much easier and um, com- connected to that although not maybe exclusively locked to the revenue management department is also understanding what is happening on the website so when when um, potential passengers come to the website and maybe then they stop um, exploring at certain point trying to understand what was happening, which pages, you know, what was maybe... Incorrect. This goes
0: to the, the case that I was talking about. So now you can product-wise collecting and understanding this feedback, not just collecting, because we did collect feedback before, but getting context. So why right. what's really why people are not buying? Uh, so this, uh, this case would be much easier, right?
2: Yes. And also maybe starting to engage in a conversation with that person at that particular point in time based on, that context that existed in that moment. So there are many, many cases like this, um, and many more will come. I think the the challenge that we have currently is that the speed of change and new products that are coming to market is so fast that virtually nobody really can grasp what this will bring. Um, we, we already see a lot of cases, but the, the main idea is as it was in the past, every such new technological or other revolution brings new methods, new, completely new approaches to things that we didn't even think about previously. Um, like internet, for example, at the beginning was just a, di- a digital catalog of something, but at the end, it enabled a completely different way of, of doing business and communicating. And in this, in this process, what is important, and you touched upon that, is, is the relation of people, employees, to this new technology. Education is, of course, one of the major hindering factors currently on how to use generative AI. But fortunately, the, this barrier of entry is now much less than it was in the past. So in the past, if you wanted to, let's say, create these models that you were mentioning to, um, to detect sentiment, you really needed a data scientist. You needed a lot of expertise. Now you need some expertise, but much less. It's more about having this business understanding and business context so that you can think of the, the use cases and uh, the reasons why you would use certain things in a particular context. And also to understand when, if we now go back directly to ChatGPT, that is most popular now, when you can trust its results and when you can't.
0: Yeah, that's we, very. We
2: have been hearing a lot of um, about hallucinations. Yeah. And so creating false results and also creating false citations.
0: Um, no, no, I see it even, like I said, in simple cases, when I prompt him for code, you know, he would suggest most of the time, simple cases, most of the suggestions are great and I use it right away. But sometimes I see a moments when I get skeptical and you ask another question and say, oh, sorry to mislead you or something like that. So
2: Yes, so it's really funny when you, when you ask it again and then it's like apologetic and say, oh, no, <laughs> sorry, sorry. Um, so OpenAI is saying that in the next versions it will be less apologetic. <laughs> uh, at least <laughs>
0: More like human and will to admit mistakes. <laughs>
2: exactly, exactly. Um, but um, given this, this current situation, this current accuracy, what we need to be aware is that ChatGPT is still an assistant. It's not, it's it's not awesome. yet there that we would for all cases just say, okay, do it. We need to be in control. We need to check, and also legally, it's us who are responsible for whatever actions are taken based on, uh, based on the results. But again, as I mentioned earlier, this is something that will improve, and it will become better and better. Even if we just look at the the difference in quality of results between version 3.5, that came up, came out in November. And version four that came out in March, it's, it's an exponential um, increase in quality in, in, yeah. many, in many different parameters. And this this growth of, of um, capabilities will just continue.
0: Okay. Maybe to sum up at the end, the key question, let's say, if I would be an airline leader or airline, let's say, CEO or CIO or whatever, person who would be intrigued by the possibilities. Uh, how to start? You know, how how because I said, okay, it's simple to use it as a prompt, as a replacement for Google on an individual basis. But knowing or let's say what everything you you said today, I really think you highlighted greatly that you need this like more strategic approach. Yes. how, how you how you help basically leaders Currently, your experience, how to how to how to start with this strategic approach.
2: So, I think there are a few things here. Firstly, it's important that we understand the context, so that we understand that JGPT is just one little tool.
0: Okay. Very
2: important, and and you know, it's part the revolution, but still, it's just one tool, and it's not something that in the long run. Um, will be used. So that's one important thing to understand. And I think if we understand that, then it's also more easier to have a conversation with the management about the importance of discussions. About this. Secondly, I think um, we also need to be aware and then have some sort of official policies in the company around how we want to use the new technology. And this should also touch upon how it impacts the employees, uh, where is the expected value add, and what we expect of the employees to learn and how to use the technology. If we, of course, then want to do that, we also need to understand the risks of use and and mitigate them. And we also need to understand the legal aspects. So the copyright aspect, we didn't talk about that today, but they uh, they are important. Um, privacy aspects where we need to ensure that we do not leak information. There are a lot of very uh, high profile cases about this, but it can be easily avoidable just if we have a few rules and if if employees are educated about how how to use and what not to do. So that, I would say, is very
0: first. And this is, if I understood what you do, let's say, you did in the past. It's like a series of workshops on each of these topics with key decision makers. So it's kind of educational plus creating a short, let's say, an outline of a strategic plan of how to use AI.
2: Yeah, it's like, firstly, it needs to start with some sort of education on different levels. And then this migrates into creating some sort of um, policy of of what we want to do with it. And when we have that, we can then go into next level of education, focusing on specific areas, and also this this would then result. If my suggestion is, you know, you need to have some sort of an internal AI council, which is multidisciplinary. I think in the past that that is an important thing to also stress. In the past, when we were talking about AI, it was a very technological thing. It was usually more in IT departments, then talking, of course, to, let's say, marketing and some others, but it was a very technical thing. Now, this council need to really be multidisciplinary, coming from all the departments so that the use cases are prepared and that, you know, they think about what are the long-term impacts on us, on industry, and how do we deal with that? And that is something I help them with. Um, then, obviously, the next step would be, you need to start experimenting. Like if you have this case, let's say for sentiment analysis, start experimenting. You don't need to go big. You can do it very quickly, very simply, um, and and see what what works and what doesn't work. Um, And an additional thing, again, HR needs to start thinking about um, on one hand, educational policy, and on the other hand, with new people that are being hired, who are we hiring, what kind of knowledge do we want them to have, and how we will do onboarding for them. Because these things will, will of course, change. Uh, and all these steps together basically should should result in one, in one point um, in a strategy. The strategy that I always tell companies, do not now focus only on ChatGPT and GPT. Look, look wider, start, start with GPT, start with these language models, but look wider, what, what will your strategy be? And I think the, the strategy of every company in the future will evolve artificial intelligence multiple ways. Just, just as an example, both Google and Microsoft, like the biggest players in the office, office um, software, they are all in on AI what they're just talking about AI now and all their products will already be using AI and they're betting everything on AI so I think we also need to need to do uh, to do some thinking about that in our strategies
0: no I agree and I think it's like you said for like everything I mean Even when we are talking on, let's say, a more, more simple level, when I talk or consult airlines, how to do e-commerce, it's again, try to have a strategy, try to have a more top-down approach into KPIs, into the processes and involve every bit together. And when you, when you deal with it systematically, then I think it's the best way, then not this uh, bottom-up approach, or just, let's say, take one tool and start playing with it. Yes, this this
2: example that you just um, shared um, made me think about the other aspect that i didn't mention but it's very much related to this as an example so one part of this strategy should also be thinking about how will artificial intelligence and large language models where we are now asking the bots so many things how will that impact our marketing strategy in the future because what we expect currently is that it will be so. The users will need to go to different places less. So they will be able to get a lot of information from their um, series, from their right. Nexus. So, how what what does that mean for how we promote our services?
0: No, no, for sure. Like you said, I think it's already. I see it in the space. The SEO, how we search information, how Google will rank. This is changing, and I think this is. It will be a big shift in everything. How, like you said, how we find products, exactly. and this I think is a cha- challenge for. Google. I mean, not in a way Google will find something, but because their current advertising model is built on promoting their search results. So this is something that will be different. But I think it's it's a it's a topic for a whole another one hour podcast, right? So.
2: Indeed, I think the best the best thing to do now in all areas is. To assume that things will change. Although maybe they didn't start changing yet, but assume they will and start preparing. Okay. So it's better to be to be prepared and things will not happen than you know not to be prepared and you know, be surprised.
0: I think this is a good advice. So last thing, how will we how will we measure the success of our uh, podcast recap? Uh, experiment of the summary of the summary of the summary what are you expecting in advance
2: well i just expect it to be factual
0: (laughs) not not misquote you
2: yes not not to come up with new stuff that is not true and and saying that generative ai will solve all the problems that are out there
0: okay thanks this was uh, for me very uh, enlightening, educational. And uh, I think we will have to repeat this chat much sooner. If I understood you correctly, much sooner than I anticipated.
2: Yes, the, the whole area is developing so fast that whenever I'm giving presentations, like every week I need to update my presentations because there's something new. So the, the rate of speed is really, really fast.
0: Thanks again. Thank you. At BranchedPose, we are
1: a passionate team with deep cross-functional experience in airline and travel tech, travel retail, and end-to-end customer experience. We offer Transform Consulting Services and Triplake, our best-in-class digital commerce platform. With Triplake, we deploy the latest technology and retail thinking and make it easy for you to drive personalized end-to-end experiences for your customers and meet your revenue goals. We are an IATA strategic partner for digital innovation to drive together the future of travel. We have been a long-term trusted partner for LH Group, IAG, AGN, TAP, Air Malta and more. Visit branchspace.com to learn how we turn the current challenges airlines are facing in the digital world into opportunities.